This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Marty Ostermiller, CFO of HireVue, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 326. I don't really look at it that way. I look at it a little bit different. I, I would say that my CFO leadership makes me a better CEO because now when I hear different things, whether we expand the product line, whether we deal with certain customers, I can take my background as a CFO and I probably see a little bit more pitfalls and pluses than the normal CEO would. <laughs> From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hello, I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Roger Varon, CEO of Stable North America. Wait, did I, did I say CEO? Yes, I did. But here's the thing. Roger was CFO of Stable North America for like... 20 years and then in 2015 they offer him the ceo role what about you what if the board turned to you and said hey you know this business better than anyone we want you to be the next ceo would you say yes maybe depends right well roger was a seasoned cfo veteran and he said yes and so we thought you might find his story and the Stobley uh, story interesting. It comes up right after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Going way back, I went to the University of South Carolina and majored in finance. And after that, I was lucky to get a job with KPMG and I was assigned to the uh, Geneva office. So I moved to Geneva, Switzerland, and I worked there for about four years. I uh, had a great time, and one thing very important is I learned French while I was over there. After my four years there, I was transferred to Houston, Texas with KPMG and worked another two years there. Uh, after that, I decided that I need to come back to South Carolina, and I worked for a large uh, textile plastics manufacturer. And then out of the blue, I was contacted by a headhunter, and the headhunter said, uh, we're looking, we have a small European company that is looking for a financial person, but by any chance, do you speak French? 
And I think at the time I was maybe the only guy in Greenville, South Carolina that spoke French that was a chief financial officer. And I had an interview with Stobley. And I was offered the job basically on the spot. So it really worked out that my background in finance as well as my languages really helped me obtain this job with Stobley. And that job was as Stobley's uh, CFO, which you then hold for the next 20 years. In fact, up to only about two years ago, your your resume resembled that of many CFOs, uh, That, with, with the exception of your tour of duty in Switzerland, perhaps. But when you returned from Europe, you were an audit manager at KPMG. You then became a controller. And then you, uh, you you switched. You jumped to a CFO role at the at the plastics company you mentioned, and um, from there you, you of course were recruited to Stobley, uh, where you took on the CFO role, a role you would have until about 2015, when of course you became the CEO. So here you have what is a very traditional CFO resume, and one we would not necessarily have expected. Uh, to include a CEO chapter. So uh, that's our question, I guess. How? Uh, tell us how you became a, a CEO. Yeah, I, th- I think what's very important, especially in my case, was when I was, man- when I was with KPMG, I worked specifically with manufacturing companies, and I became very involved with, of how things worked. And I not only talked with financial people at these companies, I like to talk to the engineers and the project managers and the salespeople and just get a better feel for how the company works in total, not just the financial part. And that helped me when I went to the plastics company in Greenville, and I became kind of the CFO there, but I've got more of a management role, and I worked very closely with the production managers. And I just I took a lot of interest in learning really the whole business. And then when I came with Stobley, um, we were a very small company. Back in that time, we only had about 35 people and 30,000 square feet. Uh, today, we got 230 people and about $120 million in sales. So we've made some nice growth. But during that whole time, I'm very involved in all the decisions of the company. I was out on the floor every day, probably twice a day, talking to the people out there, I talk to salespeople, I go to production meetings, and all that gives you a good feel for all the parts of our company. And Stobley's a very complicated company. We have three divisions and many different product lines. And after doing that for about uh, 20 years, they decided that when one of the family members who was running Stobley at that time went back to Europe, that I had the background to – to run Stobley Corporation. Wow! So there, there, there it is. That's the, um, you know, you've crossed the Rubicon. <laughs> so many finance leaders never, uh, you know, find the path to do that or are not motivated to do it. Uh, they themselves might see their role uh, as a leader differently. Now, did you hire a, another finance leader? Did you bring another finance leader in, or bring someone up as you uh, migrated over to the CEO role? Sure. I've hired a, a CFO to take my place. Now my function is a little bit more on the sales side and representing the company at different trade shows and talking with customers. So I got a CFO 
that I thought had those same characteristics, and I explained to him that it's not just a finance business. You've got to understand all the aspects of our company, and I think he's got a little bit in his mind that when I retire one day, maybe he'll have the opportunity. What about for yourself? And, again, you've you've really given us a, a good sense of how you learn the business but let's face it, uh, CEO leadership is different, and there you must be in some ways trying to discipline yourself not to be the finance leader but to be the overall leader. Yeah, I, I don't really look at it that way. I look at it a little bit different. I, I would say that my CFO leadership makes me a better CEO because now when I hear different things, whether we expand the product line, whether we deal with certain customers – I can take my background as a CFO, and I probably see a little bit more pitfalls and pluses than the normal person would. So I don't consider that uh, – I almost consider it a big plus having a CFO background. And really, when I talk to my colleagues in Europe and from my bosses over there, I think that they appreciate that I have a financial background to tie in with my – representing the company and sales and growing the business, basically. You know, and this is a this is a pretty unique company. Is it still family-owned today, then? It was founded in 1892, and uh, uh, is it a Swiss company? What was? What, tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Uh, this July, I went over to Switzerland. We had our 125-year celebration. The company is privately held for four generations, and basically three families own all the shares of Stobley. So it is an amazing company, and when you think about the old days, it was based in Switzerland and France, and it survived uh, two world wars. So it's been around a long time, and it's got an amazing history starting from a textile company to, as I'll talk later, a connector robotic company and you uh, you've already shared with us you've been there 20 plus years which is very unusual whether you're a finance leader or any executive today um what what is it that has kept you there well i I think i mentioned a little bit before when i got here we were a small basically textile company we had 35 people and 30,000 square feet with a big growth potential um, since that time, we have acquired a few companies, which was very interesting to me. We've brought in some new product lines, and we are uh, 230 people today in North America. I've got five locations where before we were only in one. So what I saw very early in this company is an amazing family running the company, a lot of great ideas and uh, doing all the right things. But I saw the growth, and I, I knew that if I ride with this company, it would grow like it has. Let's find out a little more about the uh, the offerings then today. What is it that's um, – and, and is there an area of growth that is particular driving, driving sales today, uh, a new product offering perhaps? What would you tell us? We have new product offerings in all our divisions. I would say today the newest and most interesting is we have uh, brought a new robot to the marketplace. We brought a TX2 robot, and this is basically the first robot, which is a man and machine collaboration. 
meaning that a robot can work right beside an individual with our sensors. It can run its process. If a man gets too close to it, it'll keep the same cycle but slow down, and if you get even closer to it, it stops. So in other words, in the past, a robot runs and you have to basically stay away from it. We've gone a step further because our customers wanted this. They wanted a place, an environment where man and machine can work together. Is that a safety reason? I, I guess I'm not following exactly. You want uh, the robot to slow down as a, as, a, as a person gets close to it. Why is that? Well, because you don't want it to hit the person. Right. <laughs> you want it to be safety. I mean, safety is the number one thing when you deal with robots. They work, they work a cycle, and if you put it in a cage or something, that's how you separate it from the people. But today, they want robots and, and employees working side by side. So what industries are today acquiring these types of robots? Who's putting them to work? Well, today, food and packaging is becoming a big part, automotive, and life sciences. Those are the three industries that are demanding that we uh, have this product line. We know that the uh, company has made a number of acquisitions over the years, and wondering uh, if you can give us an example of one of the acquisitions that led to new growth. Uh, we, we, we bought a company that um, made electrical couplings, and what's very interesting for that is they had a product line of solar couplings. And what we do here at Sobley in, in, in Duncan is we make 600,000 solar couplings a week. Uh, we have automated the process where we can make one solar coupling a second. It's like a watch, and it just turns every second, and it assembles a coupling. And the solar industry from that time to today is just taken off, as you can't believe, and that has increased sales tremendously. Uh, we sell to the largest solar provider in the United States. And was that uh, identified at the time? Did you did you see the solar opportunity maturing the way it had, or was that acquisition originally uh, intended for another opportunity? I, I think it was intended for another opportunity. We were well aware of the solar product line, but solar, as you know, has taken off from 2000. Five, six today is, is, is you know exponentially. Are you uh, have you ever felt you'd like it to grow faster? Is there in your is there a mindset when it comes to growth? You know, we speak to a lot of technology CEOs that uh, are looking for fifty percent growth. What what is your mindset when it comes to growth? What really is healthy growth? Well, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, probably my biggest uh, mandate right now is to grow the company's market share in two of our three divisions. And the reason is we're, we're a very successful company. We have outstanding products. But in some cases, we're, we're a little bit uh, too expensive, too whatever, quality, uh, just an expensive product to purchase where it, what I'm trying to do is explain to our customers that their return on investment with our products is better than our competition. And I've got the, 
cream of the crop customers to show. But that, that's what I look at. I look at growth. I don't look at crazy growth, but I do try. That's my mandate from Europe is to grow this company in terms of market share in the United States. And they want to clearly they want to keep it company owned. They've never looked at taking on outside investors or what have you. I could tell you 15 years ago there was a small push to see if we wanted to go public. It was decided not to. And as we look back, as the executive group looks back, it was a very smart thing to do. We're able to control, we're able to grow our product line, uh, acquire companies at our speed, and not have uh, uh, the pressures of a public company. Now, did you, and, and looking back, understandably, this was an early, much earlier chapter, but you as the finance leader had to be along the front lines in terms of influencing that decision. Were you uh, pro or con? I was definitely con because I had audited publicly held companies, and I really feel like a privately held company, if run correctly, has a better, can grow at a better rate, not necessarily faster but grow smarter than a publicly held company we always like to ask our uh, finance leader guests for those metrics uh, that they uh, look at before their first cup of coffee in the morning um, uh, old habits die hard I'm certain so what are the the metrics that you're always paying close attention to that help you uh, see how the company's growing or performing what would they be and what I like to do is I have uh, I've created a few ratios, statistics that I think are very important, and that's really what I look at. And, and whether that's a, uh, a DSO statistic, a margin statistic, a cost statistic, I, I have a, a my way of looking at things on a high level. I'm not a very I'm not a very low level person. I like to look at the high level. I like to look statistically how we're doing. I know it's important in in terms to make money. Obviously, the margins are extremely important, and our costs per sales are very important. But also, uh, I mean, accounts receivable. I mean, nothing's more important than the cash of a company. And um, I would say, outside of the receivables and statistics that I would do because each division operates a little bit differently. Uh, our textile division has 200 customers. Our connector division has 5,000 customers. You have to look at each thing a little bit differently and evaluate what you think are the key parts of that division's operation. And I would statistically be able to put in numbers from the P&L statement and from other things and look at the uh, – See how the ratios are doing. Are we doing better or are we doing worse? I wonder if you ever think of the different paths, and I suppose everyone does this, uh, their career could have taken as a business leader. Um, you may have left after 10 years for a much larger uh, enterprise and a CFO role. You could have gone that path, no doubt. Maybe there were recruiters who were calling you. You didn't. Um, you may have uh, not become CEO. I, I, I have no idea. You might have been thought of as a finance leader. What is it that – is there another path you could have seen yourself taking, like the one I just described perhaps? Uh, could Would you have been 
surprised to have seen yourself in a, in a CFO role today other at another entity? Well, um, I guess the way I would look at that is that I was offered other jobs during my time here at Stobley, and some were much better in terms of pay and other kind of benefits. But what I thought with Stobley had that was better than anything or that I really enjoyed is I uh, I really enjoy my European lifestyle. Uh, I enjoyed when I lived there. My parents are Swiss. I even have cousins over there. So I never found a job where I thought the money outweighed the, the working in Europe and working in the States. I go to Europe two or three times a year. I was able to always kind of – I was very excited with the growth here at Stobley. So the, the European side as well as the growth in products, I decided always to stay here. It was the best opportunity for me. And, again, uh, a very good point is if I would have switched, I would have switched to a basically CFO role, and I probably would have been pigeonholed into a CFO role. Here I got more and more opportunities. Even when I was not the CEO, I was at the uh, I was at CEO level meetings. Thought leader listeners, I hope you're finding our interview with Roger interesting. However, uh, I think I failed to uncover his magic ring. That which, when placed on his CFO finger, uh, changed him into a CEO. There is no magic ring. Don't study French, or study it if you like. But uh, I'm not certain it's a priority for uh, for succeeding in finance. It was, however, uh, a door opener for Roger to gain entry into a rather unusual company. One I thought you would uh, enjoy learning about. And interestingly, it allowed him to return to his roots in South Carolina, as well as uh, his roots in Switzerland. So uh, this would be hard for anyone, however, to replicate. So uh, uh, I don't know, not sure how many takeaways there are here, but it is interesting. And people sometimes find a perfect match for themselves. And I I think that's what Roger's uh, career story reveals. Please stick around. We're going to ask Roger for his 12-month business priorities after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Roger, so ordinarily I'd be asking you for your uh, 12-month finance leader priorities. Uh, so in, in your case as a CEO, I'm, I'm just going to ask you uh, for your 12-month business priorities going forward this year. I also want to thank you for being a good sport and allowing me to ask so many finance-oriented questions and 
uh, whether there are alternate paths you could have take, taken, that sort of thing. We appreciate uh, you being so candid with us. What are your 12-month business priorities? My priorities? Well, my big priority, the number one priority, is to increase market share in all three divisions. No question. That is my, I need to get our products in front of the right people because I think when I get my products in front of the right people, they will make a good decision and pick our products. So I'm trying to use all my connections that I have through, that I've gotten over the last 25 years and increase our sales. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.